everybody, and welcome to episode 235 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James, here with Ryan and Paul again uh, this week. A good week for the Brewers, and uh, I guess to-be-determined week for the Packers, Paul. I know you've been busy with draft stuff. I guess top-line first impressions, I'm sure there's going to be a podcast, but oh, I'm how are you feeling? I'm very conflicted on the Packers draft because I think that they were very inefficient early on in the draft and in how they went about things that they traded up for a non-quarterback, which I dislike. Um, Christian Watson has a super high ceiling, but he is a project. And um, I, so this is disagreement about this, but um, I don't think he'll help Aaron right away. And, you know, the receiver room is not great. Um, they drafted an off ball linebacker early, which is not an efficient position, but then on, on day three, they just killed it. They had a great um, end to the draft. I think it makes the front part of the draft look better, but that's stupid because those are kind of independent. Um, uh, but they're also not independent because they wouldn't have done the same things had they done things differently early. So I'm not quite sure how to think about it, but I think all overall it's pretty good. Haven't they been really good at drafting late just in general sort of yeah, as a rule? Yeah, lately? They're, like they are a right? very good late drafting team. And honestly, they're they're a good early drafting team. Like for I'm, I will definitely be talking about Watson and I don't really care for him. But um, to their credit, they have been good with raw prospects in developing them. Rashawn Gary turned out super great, and I had almost all the same reservations about him. Now, receiver is different than, than Edge. Edge is mostly about um, athleticism and, and production in college, and they're a little easier to project, and which receivers take time. But uh, they might, maybe they know, if they know what they're doing here, then they got a stud. So, you know, hopefully they do. Yeah, uh, definitely lots of. Uh early opinions on the Packers draft, but this is definitely one that you're probably you, not going to get uh, the one early thing, reaction to. The one thing I'm uh, 100% sure of is that the Bears draft just sucked ass. It was uh, yeah. it was atrocious. They are, a tradition unlike any other. Really? like they have, <laughs> they have a new GM and new front office, and they just seem as stupid as ever. It was a uh, almost nonsensical level of ineptness in their draft. Yeah, this is why I'm not worried about the Packers' future all that much, because the rest of the division is... Continues to be run by idiots, so I'm I'm not terribly concerned about that. But <laughs> all right, uh, let's talk some Brewers stuff because that they're they've actually been doing really well, yeah. and it's fun to talk about things when they're doing well. Uh, but a reminder before we get started, you can become a patron, support us, and get question priority for as little as two bucks a month at Patreon.com/slash/MKETailgate. That gets you that question priority both here and on the Packers reporting as eligible Packers podcast. And I have a feeling that the guys are going to be doing a, a draft recap and you're probably going to want some question priority there. Right, Paul? Uh, yes, we haven't officially scheduled that yet. But yeah, we'll be we d- we'll definitely be doing draft recap and reactions and uh, e- uh, probably be doing a mini pod, too, on some of their down ballot guys. They actually signed one of my favorite guys as a UDFA and Samari Turi, the Nebraska receiver. So he's a seventh round uh, pick, actually. He was oh, seven, you're right, you're right. He was. He, he was he was yeah. seventh round. I'm wrong about that. Yeah. So um that was also cool. I'm glad that happened. I'm gonna go place a small wager on him being the offensive rookie of the year and uh <laughs> go from there. There you go. Uh, so speaking of mini pods, five bucks a month gets you those Packers mini pods, as well as the minor league extra podcast with Ryan and James Anderson from Rotowire. Uh, so definitely a, a good time to sign up for that as well. 
All right. Well, turning our attention to the Brewers, I guess, uh, despite the inconsistent, if you're being generous, offense so far this year, the Brewers actually finished, I guess, with their third best April in team history. So uh, I don't know what that says about, well, the, the April's in the team history or, or the team itself. But, hey, they've been banking wins early. And as we've been talking about the last couple of years, it, you're not going to give back those April wins. They can become important later in the year, uh, even if the offense is struggling. Although things seem to bounce back in the last few days here, uh, specifically against the Cubs. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know if it's just the Cubs pitching, although, you know, Marcus Stroman shut them down on Sunday. So uh, maybe tempered the enthusiasm a little bit. But I guess, Paul, are Let's start with you. Are you encouraged maybe that the offense is turning things around? They're almost league average now, or is it just kind of a symptom of a bad division? Um, I guess I'm a little optimistic, but overall, no, simply because, you know, we spent a lot of last week um, talking about how the Cubs had a good run differential just because they beat the ever-loving stuffings out of the Pirates in one game. And the Brewers just did that to the Cubs. And last week when we talked, I don't think the Brewers had anybody with an OPS plus over 100. And after the two Cubs blowouts, they now have five guys in the starting yeah. lineup with an OPS plus over 100. Two on, and Mike Brousseau, who's no longer with the team, RIP. And Victor Caratini, who's on the IL, also do. So seven of their offensive players now above league average, which is, you know, crazy considering how they've started the season. But this is small sample size time. And um, I still think that the often shut out low scoring brewers are probably the real ones. But, you know, it's better to score a bunch of runs and blow people out than not to do so. And uh, maybe it is a turn. So um, it's at least a little bit of a reason for optimism. And we joke, maybe they accidentally bumped out the plug on the humidor. And, you know, maybe they accidentally bumped out the plug on the humidor. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think we knew that they're not a great offense. And I think that we still know that they're not a great offense, at least as currently constituted. But... I think that they were a lot worse than what they they were what they had performed as was a lot worse than what they actually were. And so primarily what we just saw was regression to the mean. Like this is just them getting to be more along the lines of the hitters that they have a track record of being as opposed to the hitters that we saw the first couple of weeks of the season. So the fact that it all happened in a couple of games I guess it's fun, and it's especially fun that it happened against the Cubs. Like, let's be honest here. Having that happen at home against the Cubs was truly delightful. I was at the game on Saturday night, and it was wonderful. And <laughs> so that's great. Like, you you, you love to see that. But I guess it, it also it just – you can't count on uh, always getting – a bunch of home runs like they did, especially in this weirdly non-home run uh, situation. And the fact that it was really driven by home runs right after everybody was kind of throwing a a fit. And do you remember on Friday before the home run barrage actually started, uh, Kutch hit one that he thought he got a hold of and I thought he got a hold of it off the bat and it just died on the warning track. And he literally like did the like, uh, waved it away and like made like a face at it and was like basically was like <laughs> shit man like you know like fuck that what, what more can yeah. we do here come yeah. on yeah yeah exactly. exactly so I yeah. don't know I it's I, I I think that really we primarily what we saw was just this offense finding more of what its level is going to be overall which is still 
it, it, you pointed out, Paul, you know, it, it's better than it was, but you've still got Colton Wong down there at yeah, 66 OPS plus Jace it's Peterson. Still, yeah, mm-hmm. it's still ugly. And OPS yeah. plus it, OPS plus is calibrated to league average, correct? Yes, um, it is. Well, park adjusted league average, park adjusted league average. And, and uh, the Brewers don't have a single player with an OPS over 800. So it's still ugly. It's just not yeah. as ugly compared to the rest of the league. <laughs> exactly. Well, yeah, and uh, it yeah. is worth noting. Oh, actually, okay, never mind. The park factors changed. Guess that that'll happen when you hit like nine home runs in two games. I was going to point out that the <laughs> oh yeah that, uh, the park had been playing like as significant pitchers park, and that isn't true anymore. So, all right, <laughs> well, never mind that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the Brewers are definitely uh, right around league average, I guess <gasps> now in in terms of OPS and OPS plus, and that'll help. Um, obviously that was coming into Sunday that I'll go down a little bit now, but, um, I don't know. I still think there's still some encouraging signs here. Like Christian Yelich is hitting the ball in the air occasionally more. So that's nice to see resulted in a couple of home runs in the Cubs series as well. Yeah. Launch angle up to 9.7 up. up, Yeah. Up six points from last week. There we go. This is Paul's weekly Yelich launch angle update. Barrels are down slightly, but still good. Still 14.8% barrel percentage. So if you can keep that up at 9.7, he's going to, he's going to do okay. And also um, if you look at his, his spray chart for the year, he should have six home runs. Mm -hmm. Um, He really should. He has um, three, four doubles, three doubles that are, they appear to be gone in basically every park except where they were hit. (laughs) So, um, yeah, the season could look a lot better with a little bit of luck. Absolutely. And we do have a Yelich question coming up, so I won't step on the toes of that one too much. But that was uh, one of the encouraging things of the weekend for me, as even though I keep, you know, kind of tongue in cheek tweeting that he's back. But it's still fun to see, (laughs) even if that batting average is a little low and his OPS is still not in the 800s. You know, he's still hitting the ball really hard. And and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Bit. But I guess going back to uh, just the last week, you know, the Brewers really beating up on the Pirates 6-0 against the Pirates so far this year. Uh, took two of three out of the Cubs. Kind of leads us to our first Patreon question. It comes from Adam Post this week, and he's asking if the Brewers end up only playing mediocre against the rest of their schedule, could they still make the playoffs solely by beating up on the Pirates and Cubs and maybe the Reds? Uh, of course, the Reds coming up this week. Off to one of the worst starts in modern baseball history at 3-19 and so far. Um, and as, as some Cincinnati writers will, will let you know, uh, it's been even worse since uh, the famous Castellini mm-hmm. uh, uh, interview. So it seems to have a, a negative effect on the team morale there, possibly. But I guess, Ryan, let's start with you. Uh, you know, we talked the division's so weak that the Brewers could probably just kind of cruise to this playoffs with this thing, right? Like they, they don't really have to beat up on anybody else. No, they really don't. If they take care of business and you're not going to go, you're probably not going to go undefeated against the pirates. I would hesitate there for a second. I don't know, yeah, man. Yeah, let's, uh, uh, let's not be too hasty. Yeah. I was listening to last week's journal Sentinel podcast with, uh, with Todd and Jr. And they mentioned that in 2008, the brewers went 14 and one against the pirates in route to making the playoffs for the first time in 26 years. So you could, you could really beat up on teams occasionally and, they are 
the kind of team that you would do that to. Though I feel like they're going to be getting better as the season goes on. And I, I think perhaps we maybe have missed the Reds. Hopefully we're, we're catching them now at a good time where they're still bad because the Reds aren't this bad. They're going to probably over the rest of the season play like 450 ball and end up being, you know, a, a 65 win team or something because there's still some talent on that club. It's not completely bereft of talent. And so I think that like, you kind of wanted to catch them in this early part of the season. So maybe that isn't the, the greatest that the Brewers didn't catch them in this run when they were, uh, I think probably very demoralized and probably just hated being there and hated doing the, you know, going through the motions of, of playing a game for ownership that uh, doesn't care if they win or lose and is not <laughs> at all hiding that fact. So I, I don't know. I mean, you can, you could definitely go a long ways, especially in this era where we now have, six playoff teams in each league, you can get a long ways by just beating up on bad teams. You really can. Like if you just beat up on bad teams and are, you know, reasonably not horrible against good teams, I think you'll make the playoffs. So this is, this is a fine formula to doing it. And <laughs> hopefully they can continue it this week against the Reds. I mean, it is. I'll say the one thing uh, we kind of dropped the Reds out there of the question and, you do need to beat up on the Reds so you don't give games back against the Reds to the other teams. But yeah, you, you can you can make a lot of hay by beating bad teams. It's it's a thing that nerds complain about in baseball very very frequently when we get to tiebreakers and stuff like that. Like, yeah, oh, this team got to beat up on trash while the AL East had to play against a bunch of good teams except the Orioles, and uh, it, it works. It's a it's a time honored tradition of making the playoffs in a crappy division. So. Yeah, it's a good way to do it. And then the Brewers should, it's, it's why they were kind of favorites, even though they're not the best team. Um, you know, it's why their playoff odds were so high when the start of the season started. Everybody saw, well, that's that's bad there. That's real bad. And it has been. I just want to clarify, Paul, you mean they aren't the best team in the National League, not the in best the team in the Central. League. That's right. They're clearly the best team in the Central. Like, you know, the Dodgers are better than the Brewers are. But yeah. the, the Brewers were in some ways more likely to make the playoffs than the Dodgers because the Dodgers have some actual real teams to, not that the cardinals aren't real but they're not as real as some <laughs> teams are so uh, yeah that's what i meant the brewers are good best in the central but um you know if they were in the uh, one of the other two divisions they wouldn't be as good and they wouldn't be as favored yeah i think coming into this week too we should mention that jonathan india one of the only good reds reds players is on the injured list so he will not be playing against the brewers reigning nl rookie of the year so uh that's in the Brewers' favor as well. Is and I, Tyler Stevenson um, going to be back for this game? Because he's not good, but he has been good so far. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm not sure of. I just okay. saw that Jonathan India went on the IL, I think, today. So as we record this on Sunday. So definitely going to miss the Brewers' series. And I think something else to think about, too. It's not just, you know, jumping off of Adam's question here. It's not just making the playoffs. But now we have to talk about, like, buys and stuff like it's the nfl playoffs right and i think that's really where the brewers could benefit right like if they beat up on a ton of teams they could easily cruise to a two seed right compared to how tough the nl east is so i i don't know there i think there's a decent chance they could rack up enough wins at least early to to kind of make sure that they can avoid that wild card round too and i think that's a big deal yeah they definitely have a shot at that two seed primarily for that reason, because I think that the East is going to beat up on each other and the Mets are off to a really hot start, but, and, and this is a legitimate Mets team, but we have seen them also get off to hot starts in the past. And then the Mets of it all catches up with them. But 
I don't think it's going <laughs> no. to be that bad this year. I think this this team has depth that they have not had in a very long time, if ever. For sure. All right. Uh, I guess moving on, we're already into May as we record this now. Uh, kind of hard to believe. Uh, but that, of course, means that teams have to kind of cut down their rosters. So, of course, you know, with the early uh, or not the early, the late spring training and, and the shortened spring training schedule, teams got to carry a few extra players than normal uh, through the first month of the season, of course. And now they got to cut some guys down. So they got to get down from 28 to 26 by Monday, I believe. And with the Brewers not playing on Monday, they already kind of made those moves after Sunday's game. Uh, just to kind of recap the moves there, they sent down Alex Jackson, who had been up the last few days with Victor Caratini on the COVID list. Uh, Caratini's back, so Jackson goes down. They also sent down Mike Brousseau, which kind of uh, ruins one of the Patreon questions we have coming up, but we'll still talk about it anyway. Um, and then Jake Cousins went to the IL with some uh, elbow issues. Uh, doesn't sound too serious at this point, but I think anybody who's watched Jake Cousins early this year can tell there's something not quite right, so that kind of makes sense as well. So Alex Jackson, Mike Brousseau down so far. Uh, but of course, you know, there, there's a 14 pitcher rule now with the turnover to May. And, and that kind of leads us to Steven Anderson's question here. He's asking council hinted that the Brewers are going to take advantage of the 14 pitcher rule for May. If they do, that would require a hitter to be sent down. Do you think they will do that? If so, will it be Hira or Brousseau? Well, we have that answer now. <laughs> uh, but he has a second question here that I think is still relevant. Are they both gone once Luis Urias is ready? So uh, it sounds like there's a chance that he may even be back this week from what I've seen. Uh, he, he's been doing some rehab stints. The box scores haven't been great, but quad seems to be holding up fine. So I guess Paul... If or when Urias comes back in the next week or so, is it Hira going down or or what happens, do you think? This is actually, I think, going to be tougher than expected because Jace Peterson has been real bad. Um, real, and, bad. Uh, real bad. Real bad. Hira's Not, been fine. Hira's been <laughs> fine. And and um, uh, Hira, you don't, if, if he's going well, you, you do, I think, kind of want to reward that, especially if you are of the opinion that mental aspects of his game are the big problem. Um, you know, he should be a professional if he gets sent down, whatever, but you do kind of want to reward production so far. That said, um, you do have to have people able to man all of the infield positions competently. And um, here is not going to be stepping over to third base anytime soon. So um, I'm not entirely sure what they're going to do, honestly, uh, but it could be come to Jesus time for Jace if he doesn't step up a little bit. Also, Jace had a bad error today. I just wanted to point out too. I'm I, he probably wasn't charged with. Well, he probably was was charged with an error because they gained bases on it. But it showed his lack his lack of arm at third base was on display trying to turn a double play on a ball um, down the line to him stepping on third and hooking it over to first and threw it offline, but also just had nothing on it. Um, so. Um, I don't That's know. Really funny, considering we have a question about his defense being. Yeah, but uh, anyway, yeah, the, uh, the the Brewers, um, I feel like are just slaves to options a lot of the time. So if I had to put money on it, I guess my money would be on Hira probably being the one. But if they also just decided Jace is just a guy that we can replace later, it wouldn't surprise me that much either. Yeah, I think I, I'm not sure exactly how this is going to go. I think 
actually what you're going to see is you're going to see a pitcher go, I think it's going to be Jose Urena. And the reason for this is that they frankly don't need to have this many pitchers with their starters going as deep as they're going into games. There was mention on the on the broadcast today about the fact that they've been kind of scrambling to get some innings for guys out of the bullpen because they're just not having to use them that much with so many deep starts. You had Corbin Burns went, what, seven today. You had Lauer going seven yesterday. You had Adrian Hauser going, I think it was six on Friday. You, you've just had guys going really pretty far into these games and haven't had the need for it. And frankly, Irina has not been good. He's just been bad. And he's been real bad. He's been yeah. bad. Yeah, he's not good. And you're going to have to get down to 13 pitchers after the month of May anyway, because that's when the the rule kicks in, because what the intention was, and this was going into 2020, we were supposed to have a balanced roster when they expanded to 26. They were going to put a limit and say 13 pitchers, 13 hitters. And then COVID happened and that threw everything for a loop and they never mandated any sort of limits in uh, 2020. And I don't believe they did in 2021 either. They were just like, okay, Teams are going to have to be able to manage their way through this because of all the roster turnover and churn that was going on. And so they gave some grace on that, but now they are cracking down on it. And this was the intent all along. And so after May, we're going to have to do that anyway. And I don't think you need, as the Brewers are currently constituted, eight relievers is fine. And like, especially this week now, once Urias is ready, it, in this time period right now, this next turn through the rotation, Aaron Ashby isn't going to have to start because they have the off day on Monday. So they've only been starting him. You know, he has two starts and was it two appearances out of the bullpen or is it three? Oh, it's something like I'd that. I'd have to look, but only two he, starts, only two starts, though. And he started when they weren't able when they didn't have an off day to be able to yeah. to make, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, they, they want to give every day, every guy's five days rest before they start is the goal and they've stuck to that and given that they they have that flexibility right now i would assume aaron ashby's next start is or next appearance is going to come out of the bullpen so if that is in fact the case that his next appearance is in the bullpen you really don't need a an extra guy in in the bullpen so i would actually expect it to be urenia that would go at this point and i do want to say too Mike Brousseau is going to be back. This is not yeah. a permanent yeah, thing. Yeah, totally he will. That dude is coming back, and he is because he's been pretty good. Hopefully he doesn't take this hard. And I know one of the things that supposedly is so great about Craig Council and about the way this management team works is they will talk to a guy, and they will make them really try to understand what's going on in a situation like this. And this is why they get paid that money and why they have earned this reputation of what is it that uh, Colton Long said that he'd run through a wall for Craig Council. Like it's mm-hmm. it's this sort of thing that he apparently handles very well. So hopefully we can count on that and that Brousseau will come back up in you know relatively short order and he will be uh, the same guy that we saw early on, which was a pretty encouraging uh, lefty masher. Yeah, definitely. I don't think it'll be too long before he's back up. And also, even if they do send down a pitcher, you know, they still have the ability to carry 14 at some point in May. So that's not to say that they won't. You know, it's just also true. pretty clear that especially after that outing in Pittsburgh, that Urania is not 
the guy <laughs> really he can throw really hard he has no idea where it's going and uh when it's in the strike zone he gets hit so uh definitely you know i, I wasn't opposed to taking him on as a reclamation project used to be a promising arm with miami but uh can kind of see why they gave up on him now because it's not really clicking at this point so yeah wouldn't be a surprise to see him out soon well you can see what they like about it which is a power sinker in the high 90s that yes. is a really really nasty pitch and the brewers if nothing else are absolutely they love nasty pitches that's what is they, they're seeking in guys and guys who have the capability to do that sort of thing and then they can mold it and shape it and make it better and make it play up is the hope, but I think that maybe in this situation, they just didn't really have enough time because yeah. it wasn't yeah. like they were, he came in late into camp, very late, right? It was like mm-hmm. the last few days of camp. And I think we can surmise that they had an, a, an agreement with him that he was going to make the the 40 man roster and or sorry. And then once that happened, then he was going to have to be, because he didn't have an option, he was mm-hmm. going to be put on the, the active roster and, that does just kind of tie their hands and makes it like, well, you have to be able to to earn your roster spot at that point. And if you don't, well, somebody else is going to have to try a reclamation project too. And maybe at some point he realizes he needs to get to a team and maybe go to the minors for a little while and work with, you know, whatever their version of the pitching lab is to try to figure out what is not quite right. But oftentimes guys don't want to admit that they don't want to, you know, deal with that reality that maybe their stuff just isn't quite working as well as it could. And that if they tweaked it, it would be better. That's a hard thing for guys to admit. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's got good stuff and then you can see what other teams have maybe seen in him as well, but Mm -hmm. yeah, it just needs a lot of work. And at this point, the Brewers don't really have the time or, or the, the leeway to kind of sit around and wait for that to happen. And they have guys who are better just waiting to take a spot anyway. So I don't know. Wouldn't be a surprise to see a DFA coming sometime in the next couple of weeks here. Indeed. All right. Uh, next Patreon question. We talked about Jace Peterson and, and his not so great defensive play, Paul. So here's Mark Podscarby asking Jace Peterson tied for fourth highest war on the team so far this season and tied for second highest among position players. Uh, this is entirely because of his defensive war of 0.5. Has his defense really been that good? So I guess, Paul, outside of uh, Sunday's little mishap there, uh, what do we know about his defense? And like, he's at least been dependable. I, I think he, I actually do think he's fine. Um, yeah. He's not great. Uh, he, he, the one big knock I would say on Jace is the arm is questionable for third. It's it's okay. He's fine. It, it was a tough play. It, Watching it, it was like slow motion for me because um, I saw Bill Hall make it once, like from directly behind third base, which was one of the coolest viewpoints ever. And uh, Bill had a rocket for an arm and could man third just fine. Um, and uh, seeing that thing flop up, but you know what? Um, Jace is a pretty good fielder. He he gets through everything. He doesn't botch anything, and they do so much good positioning that you don't need to be, especially at third base. Um, you don't need to be that great that mobile or anything like that. You just need to get to the ball and be moving towards first base and make a decent throw for the most part. Um, honestly, I think, I think third base has really decreased in uh, complexity and in, in the difficulty in playing it with the way teams shift in position now, um, maybe more than anything else has. Um, you're usually going to be in a good spot 
and you're usually going to have momentum going that way. You don't see a lot of third basemen diving um, into foul territory and getting up and making long throws anymore because when guys are more likely to hit it that way, they're usually standing over there already. So um, he's been good because he's dependable with his glove, um, and that's fine. Um, and you're not probably not going to get a huge defensive upgrade with Urias or anybody else over there. Um, but uh, I think that that war is a little fake. Um, and his offense uh, should be a bigger knock than his defense is an upgrade. I think you could stick a lot of guys over there and get very similar production. Yeah, I mean, even if the war isn't quote-unquote fake, let's just look at what's happened since this was sent in as a question, which was <laughs> Saturday afternoon, right? That's when this question came in. And yep. uh, right now, Jace Peterson, and this is before the updates come in for Sunday's game. So don't even know what happens based on that error or whatever. Any changes like that still haven't been taken in. But Jace had already fallen to eighth on the team in war at that point, which I think is instructive to make the point that Meg and Ben always make on Effectively Wild, which is we should not be paying that close of attention to the <laughs> the uh, the uh, particular nature of war, especially this early in a season. Like trying to divine like the difference between people based on war at this point in the season is pretty silly. So yeah. he, uh, I think he's been fine. I think that defensively, from that perspective, he's been fine. Offensively, he is not. Though there still is that split that you look at that is sort of the, the Jace Peters thing. Like Jace coming into uh, Saturday, 171 batting average. Yeah, that's crap. That's that's really very bad. Uh, 277 on base percentage. Also crap, but more than 100 points difference from his batting average. Yeah, yeah, which is what you want to see. And chances are good that when Jace Peterson's Babbitt straightens out, and I'm trying to find out exactly what that is when I – I don't have the right page up, whatever. I'm assuming it's extremely <laughs> low. It has to be extremely low. So, because the strikeouts aren't insane, actually. Like, he's not striking out an absolutely ridiculous amount. He only, yeah, he has nine gonna, strikeouts in 47. His BABIP has got to yeah. be, like, in... It's it's 194. I got it. <laughs> oh, okay. So, this is... Yeah. This is yeah, it. Also, while I'm on the, the subject of BABIP, and we just mentioned... Uh, uh, Jake Cousins, Jake Cousins BABIP at this point is almost 400. So that's probably a big part of what's going on with him. He's walking too many guys and he weirdly like seems to throw to the backstop more than. Yeah, like he keeps pulling that slider, right? It's he always does. in the dirt or to the backstop. It's it's really weird. Mm-hmm. Like it's not ideal. Off mechanically. Yeah. Yeah. There's there is like some mechanical weirdness going on there where something is not quite right. But actually, really, like his FIP is under four, and his you know, the walks are are highish, but they're not like out of control, and it, it really just I think does come down to the Babbitt being ridiculous. So, anyway, that's we're not talking about Jake Cousins, we're talking about Jace Peterson. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I I think that he is a guy that you, you they probably do want to hold on to and a, a big part of this too is he has a lot of utility in terms of where he can play you can play him at second you can play him at short in a pinch it's not ideal but you can play him at short in a pinch which is what they kind of need at the moment he is their backup shortstop at the moment though willie's been out there pretty much every day so that's been useful but he is their backup shortstop at the moment and uh you also you know, obviously could play about third and he could play in the outfield some so right. 
I do kind of wonder, I think, we, I mean, we've already identified, I think Urena is the one who's going down and, and not Jace, but at some point, I don't know if what they're doing in center field is sustainable. We'll, we'll talk about that more because we have another question coming up about <laughs> it, but I'm wondering about that. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. So from War and, and Babbitt to another uh, uh, metric here, let's talk WRC+. Plus. So uh, Brian Polakowski is asking here, who has the most concerning WRC+, plus so far? As of sat- Saturday afternoon when he sent this in, Wong was at 63, Taylor was at 62, Jace, like we talked about, was at 59, or Lorenzo Kane at 27. Uh, reminder, 100 is average. <laughs> 27 is very much not average. Verging on this guy looks cooked territory for me. Paul, what's your feeling on Lorenzo so far? It's not great. Um, he might be cooked. It's uh, it's kind of painful to see. It's not like Lorenzo Kane has put a lot of good tape out there. You know, he's not rocketing a lot of outs. He's having trouble making contact. His old man walk is following up, uh, following him up to the plate a little bit, and uh, it, it's early. It's still small sample size, but uh, we haven't seen really good Lorenzo for an extended period of time in a while. Like we saw him be good for a short period last year before getting hurt, and uh, it, I think uh, I, I won't speak for you guys, but I, I've always kind of thought mm, that body might just go at some point. Like he runs into walls a lot. He always goes flat out all the time. He has a lot of violence in his swing. Like Lorenzo Cain doesn't hit a ton of bombs, but that swing is a hard swing. And if that body just gives out on him spontaneously, I won't be that surprised. And I think we may be at that point. Um, it's uh, it's looking bad. It, he, it's, it, he's not productive and he looks bad doing it. And that's not a good combination. Yeah. Did it come across on TV? Because in person, sitting where we sit, which is right behind home plate, but up watching him track down and i don't know who it was a line drive into left center last night maybe in the middle innings and i can't remember exactly who it was who hit the ball but it was scorched and it off the bat i thought okay this is going to be a home run and then i thought okay this is definitely getting to the gap and then oh there's lorenzo kane and i was stunned i I, like my jaw dropped because i in my mind i had already sort of accounted for it if this was going to be a home run it was like well no this is definitely going to the gap then and then all of a sudden boom pop there he is and so he is still capable of making incredible defensive plays i think that that part is clear he is capable of that yeah he's got a negative fra so far this year and you know samples and whatnot but i think that's the good outfield one uh it was not great last year either so um you know yeah the reason we none of us think Tyrone Taylor should be playing center field every day. That is yeah. not a great idea. Um, but the gap's not as big as it used to be, and the offensive gap's getting bigger. So uh, it's a problem. Lorenzo's a problem, and I'm not sure it's one that's going to get fixed. Yeah, this is it's it's a difficult one, and I I do think that the offense is probably going to go first, and it's going to be more noticeable. And I think we're seeing it right now. Twenty seven. That's a uh, you know well below where Jackie Bradley Jr. was last year. So I was going to say we're in the JBJ zone here with this one, right? Like really good defense, but totally unplayable. Well, but JBJ still had good defensive metrics last year. And Paul's telling us like Kane may still be capable of making exceptional plays like he did on Saturday night. 
but it it's not showing up in the metrics the way it used to. And it did. Lorenzo Cain, his first years with the Brewers, was an amazing defender, and it showed up in the metrics uh, to the point where he he got his gold glove in what was it, 2019. So mm-hmm. finally winning a Brewers gold glove. Or I guess Gogo <laughs> did that. That was had broken yeah, that. I finally chain. broke the streak. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But we we have strangely not had a lot of gold gloves. But that's a topic for a different day. Uh, yep. I'm least concerned about Colton Wong. He actually started really badly. I remember looking yeah. at he was in the single digits not long ago and is up to 63. <laughs> he he's going to get going. I think that Wong is a guy that. In an ideal world, he's your seven hitter or your eight hitter, or maybe now that the you know you read the National League has the DH, maybe in an ideal world he's your nine hitter. You know, the guy mm-hmm. to reset the lineup at the top, like a second leadoff guy. Like if he was on the Cardinals, he would probably be hitting like ninth for them, and mm-hmm. that would be more mm-hmm. ideal. But the overall package is still quite a good player and yeah. exceptional defense, and then. Still a good offensive player, and we're going to see this get much closer, probably right around 100 by the time the year ends. So I'm not concerned about that at all. Taylor, I still don't know what to make of him. I don't <laughs> I, I just I don't know really what to make of Tyron Taylor. And we already talked about Jace. So, yeah, Kane is definitely the most concerning guy here. Wong yeah. the least. Yeah, I don't think it's a coincidence either that once Colton Wong started to figure out his, his swing a little bit more. The Brewers' offenses suddenly looked a lot better, too, because he, he's an important part of that, too, um, whether it is kind of resetting the lineup, like you said, Ryan, or uh, just, you know, providing the, those sparks, like the the random doubles down the line or, or what have you. You know, like his, his pull situation is, is kind of evened itself out a little bit. He's kept more balls fair lately. I think um, that's starting to come around and really helps the offense overall. But yeah, Kane's oof, man, that's beginning to be a black hole again, and, and it's tough to see because I, yep. I love the guy to death. But his uh, his yeah. DRC plus, for what it's worth, is actually a hundred. Prospectus thinks he's gotten unlucky and would have performed better in different parks. I'm n- small. This may be a small sample size problem because his splits, like he's yeah. not hitting any line drives. <laughs> he's hitting a that's lot of fly balls, but they're not deep fly balls i don't know maybe if they unjuice the ball he'll be okay but or juice rejuice the ball rejuice yeah rejuice the ball. <laughs> yeah i mean that's another one too where he he's he has hit it hard a couple of times too and it's just kind of died on him and you've seen the reactions there as well all right uh i guess speaking of hitting the ball hard and, and we kind of referenced this at the top of the show alex lamers our next patreon question saying Yelich seems to be hitting the ball hard on a lot of the stat cast metrics and his expected batting numbers tend to be quite a bit higher than the actual ones. Do you think he might have figured something out or is he just getting unlucky or is there some other reason why the stat cast stuff would be looking better that wouldn't be expected to translate into actual performance? So I think we, you know, we've talked about this a lot. Uh, he, he's hitting the piss out of the ball. That's a scientific term, but uh, it's straight into the ground, right? And that's the issue where maybe it doesn't really translate into the quote unquote actual numbers, right? He, he's hitting it in the ground. He's hitting it into the shift. Uh, but Paul, I, I guess any other insight there on why, you know, we, we're not really seeing those numbers correlate? Uh, I mean, part of it is just lack of luck, but part of it is there's a lot of, Yelich season so far where he was hitting it into the ground and he's only recently started elevating it a little bit more and he's had success recently elevating a little bit more so um, I, I think 
if he keeps if he hits a nine point seven uh, um, uh, angle for the rest of the year, his numbers will pick way up, and he'll keep getting better, and he'll hit a ton more home runs. He's definitely gotten lucky or unlucky losing a few home runs to doubles. He still is a ground ball machine to into the shift when he hits that. But uh, I think a lot of this uh, is is actually just kind of dragging down uh, from his early season struggles, and he's been better lately. Uh, he's still hitting dismounts, but if this continues, he'll be fine. I'm just not sure. We, I'm ready to trust uh, Christian Yelich quite yet. So uh, we'll see. But um, Stackast isn't lying. He still hits the ball hard, and it really is all about his launch angle, whether he's productive or not. Get it up, he'll be good. If it crashes back down to earth, he won't. It's kind of as simple as that. Yeah, and I think that it is also worth pointing out, which I think we do all the time, that Christian Yelich doesn't need the same launch angle that other stars need to be good. He has been very, very good at times with, frankly, bad launch angles. He doesn't. He just needs it to not be absolute trash because in 2018, he won an MVP with a five degree launch angle and in 2019 he was basically as good if not a little bit better than he was in 2018 and it was 11.3 and the the launch angles you're thinking of the ones that are really good guys tend to be in the mid to high teens Mm -hmm. like those are the ones for the sluggers the guys who are you know doing the most damage yelich is a weird player we talk about it all the time so we're not even talking about him needing to get to like like the the where the rest of these guys are if he can keep his launch angle around 10 for this season if he can be around 10 degrees i think that he is a well above average bat for the season and you will see more home runs as things warm up as i'm assuming mlb is going to start tinkering with the ball or the humidors probably the humidors let's be honest here they're probably going to start tinkering with the humidors at some point and try to uh inject a little life into the ball as it were. So like that is coming. So if Yelich can be more in the around 10, not even necessarily 10, like if you mean the seven, eight degree range, he's going to be a pretty damn good hitter for them this year because the rest of it is, it's not outstanding. He did have, if you look at it, like he had that, that red ink around like the expected batting average, the expected slugging, those things in 2018, 2019. And he doesn't have that now. But he's not far away from having red ink around it because those are you have to be in the top 8% of the league to get that red ink. And he's not far away from that point right now. Like for a lot of these things, you look at it right now, average exit velocity, he's in the 76th percentile, max exit velocity, 83rd percentile, hard hit, 92nd percentile. So he's very close on a lot of these things. And so he's hitting the ball really hard. It just is a matter of elevating and celebrating yeah and even when he isn't he's he's calling his own number to bunt for a base hit against the shift right so like he had earlier this week too which is kind of funny to see that was awesome and we have to make sure that we make the point here because i know that the official uh, position of this podcast is anti-bunting and that's that's all well and good but like Bunting for a hit is not the same thing as bunting yeah. for an out. I'm I'm anti-sacrifice bunting, and I think that's really it. Bunting for a hit's always been awesome if you can actually pull it off. Mm-hmm. Bunting to beat the shift is even better. Like um, w- the best way to end the shift would be for everybody to get really good at bunting against it. Uh, it I don't think that's going to happen, 
But that would be ideally what would happen. So bunting can be good. It can be a force for good, like anything. Mm-hmm. All right. Our next Patreon question comes from Steve and Steven Anderson. A uh, couple of bullpen questions here coming up, but Steven's the first one asking, we had s- what some may consider a frustrating must use hater in a save situation robot move from council this week. Should this be frustrating? Do you think the Brewers are sacrificing any wins over the course of the season by employing this very old school strategy? Yeah. So I'm assuming he's talking about the game against Pittsburgh where Hader came in to get one out because uh, Urena put... was blowing up the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was, well, he put two guys on and there were he two did. outs yeah. and whatever. And I don't know exactly what the, the, the situation was here, but if Hader is warming up in that situation and you're talking about getting one out, I don't think that it really is a a massive difference to have him come into the game versus continuing to throw. Uh, If he's he's in the bullpen and he's going to continue to like warm up as uh, waiting to see if Urania like really does need him to come in because, you know, now the bases are loaded. Like, does anybody want Urania in there with the bases loaded instead of two runners on with a four run lead. (laughs) Like I certainly didn't want to see him up there with a chance to give away the game with a home run. Granted hitting a home run in that environment was going to be extremely difficult, but yeah, I was more than ready to see him leave the game. So yeah, I I guess I didn't have a problem with that one. And I just think that we have to take into account the, and this is the technical term for this now that uh, teams are very careful and they watch how much they dry hump guys. This is the technical term within the game (laughs) um, for, and that is to bring a guy to, sorry, to warm up a reliever and then not use him. That is what that is called in the game. And, uh, (laughs) and so they're very careful about uh, monitoring that. And it gets there. There are teams that actually have some rules about this stuff. Like if you get a guy up for a second time, he's coming into the game, or if he doesn't come into the game, you're going to consider him as having been used for that game. So then your planning going forward will be like, oh yeah, he pitched yesterday. So it wasn't, sorry, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't that a game two for the Brewers where Hader was warming up for the night, they scored a bunch and then they sat him down and then they had to get him back up again. Is that the same game or am I thinking of a different? Oh, that is a good point. I think you might be correct about that, James. Yeah. So that would have been the second time. So he's, you know, like you said, considered used anyway right so you may as well put them in at that point but i'm going to go to the game log and check that but i think that that is actually correct because the well, brewers did score in that eighth inning okay wait no go. they um, did i'm sorry oh sorry the brewers did score in the ninth inning of that game the they ninth. scored in the top yeah, of the ninth yeah. that game they went from being up 10 to 7 mm-hmm. uh at the beginning of that inning to being up 11 to seven and then yep or actually to being up 12 to seven so yes they were warming josh Hader in the bullpen before that so when they had to get him up again at that point i bet you that's exactly what this is we figured this out live on the podcast that they had him (laughs) up the second time and so they just said screw it he's coming into the game because we would consider him as having been used at this point anyway 
So that is almost certainly what happened there, knowing how, how closely the Brewers monitor this stuff. And I've heard that not about them, but from other teams, that they basically, once a guy comes up that second time, they consider them as having been used. Yeah. So more, more, gener- uh, more, more generally speaking, uh, they don't lose a ton from doing this anyway, uh, from the hater closer role. Um, if they could reasonably use hater in the way they used to, where he was kind of the multi-inning fireman, where they would bring him in as a bridge guy or to get out of super bad jams and then leave him in for a couple innings. That is objectively probably more valuable. But um, we have seen Hader's effectiveness over multiple innings decrease over time with more usage decrease over time. He has always been an injury concern because of his frame and the way he pitches. And if you're going to be limited to a one-inning use of Hader, maybe a true fireman to get out of predicaments gives you a very small win advantage over to the closer but the closer rules aren't that bad um that's the thing like they're not optimal but coming in to protect a three or fewer run lead isn't terrible um those are leads that get blown with some routine um and it's not like this is like the worst strategy in baseball versus an optimal strategy it's like a slightly suboptimal strategy versus an optimal strategy that you can't really run anymore anyway so it's really not a big deal. It keeps him happy and his arm numbers up. And it does help <laughs> keep him healthy as well. And it's not like the Brewers bullpen. Maybe it's not quite as deep as it's been in the past, but it's still plenty deep. They're fine. Um, this mm-hmm. isn't this where you got to lean on Hater to win, you know, that extra game to get you in the playoffs at all, especially this season. Well, and the closer rules do, as Paul's talking about, they do help limit guys and keep managers from overusing their best guys. But they also just really, if you look at what uh, Hater has been used at this year, and I just discovered this this week. I don't know how long uh, Baseball Reference has been doing this, but if you open up the game log for a reliever, you will get a inning score appearance matrix, which shows mm-hmm. when they come in and what the score was when they came in uh, by appearance. And haters looks exactly like what you would want it to look like. It's honestly, it's just about optimal other than maybe what Paul is talking about, that you'd want some multi-inning appearances in there. But we saw then that that could make him unavailable for a few days afterwards. Like you'd bring him in for two innings and then he would need to sit the next two days. And oftentimes they wouldn't even really want to use him on that third day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But hater this year has come in. He's only pitched in the ninth and he has come in four times with a one run lead four times with a two-run lead, once with a three-run lead, and then this one time with a four-run lead. And that was when there were runners on base. So even Mm -hmm. the one time that you could really question and say, okay, why is he coming in here? There was extenuating circumstances in that case that we just listed. So this is just about optimal in terms of usage, and I don't think that having him come in and throw six pitches you know, in April in Pittsburgh – is really going to be a problem. And I don't think having this come up four or five times in a season where Craig Council decides, hey, I'm going to put you in the game because the reliever that we were hoping was going to cover for you has gotten into trouble. And so we're just going to bring you in and, you know, get ahead of things using that stupid closer rule where it's, you know, you get a (laughs) save if you have the, what is it? The, it's the tying run on deck. Something like that. Yeah, and he got yep. a save for that. So that's right. it. Yeah, he got the save because the tying run was on deck, and that's when he came in the game. And yes, it is a little push button managey, but 
ultimately, who cares? I, I think this is a very minor thing. Yeah, and he's not going to complain because he leads the league in saves through the first month. So, And neither uh, will his fantasy owners. <laughs> there you go. All right. Uh, you know, so we're kind of running into something with the bullpen the last couple of days or few games here, I guess you could say. Jay Google's asking, after Devin Williams and Hader, who do you trust most in the pen? Because uh, <laughs> Brad Boxberger did not look that hot in his last outing or so in Pittsburgh. Uh the the depth chart maybe especially with cousins kind of going down on the IL now looking a little thin paul yeah um you certainly don't have an, an idiot answer here like there's not an obvious one because um like uh, in the past and maybe it's still I, I might actually say Suter, who is good in his role but he's having a, a rough season so far he's had bad babbit luck he has had bad defense behind him luck um, but I think like, long haul, he is objectively a very solid presence there. And you could go with Trevor Goss, who has great numbers in the 720 whip and has gotten them out of jams when pressed to do so. And maybe is also the correct answer. But you'd like to see maybe a little bit more before you go to that well. So um, uh, I, I think they're still trying to figure it out as much as everybody else is. Uh, and, you know, they don't seem to trust Toby Milner, even though he has kind of good numbers <laughs> uh, as well. But uh, I, I'm honestly not sure if I was forced into the situation of picking a pitcher for the situation, what I would do. I think I go with Gott if I need to get a K. And uh, I'm not sure how I feel about it at the moment, but I think that's the answer. Yeah, Gott in the seventh is where I am yeah. at this point. I'm perfectly fine having him be there. I'm also really okay with Boxberger in that role also. I think... For me, the big thing I like to see is a split between strikeouts and walks. Yeah. And Gott hasn't walked anybody yet. 11.9 strikeouts per nine. Uh, yeah, so he's 11 strikeouts in eight and a third innings. No walks. So love to see that. He did give up that home run to the Giants. I wonder if that was maybe something where the Giants know something about him because that's where he came from. Yeah. So they had some scouting report on him because that ball got crushed. I was <laughs> legit very I was in the park that night. I was legit very surprised because I was not expecting a ball to get crushed like that. And that ball got hammered. So you wonder about something like that if they have a book on him, which, you know, the Giants, if any team's going to have a book on their guys or any guy, uh, the Giants are very, very good at that. So I would I would kind of think that there's a chance there. Um, but Boxberger. Even though he's not striking out a ton of guys, he has six strikeouts in seven and two-thirds innings, but he's also not really walking guys. He has just one walk so far this season, so he's got a six-to-one strikeout-to-walk ratio. I love seeing that in my relievers, so I think that either way you can go. Honestly, I think some of this comes down to, and I know the Brewers look at this, is what was the guy uh, who these batters that the person coming in uh what did the guy before them look like? Was he a hard thrower? Was he more of a soft tosser? What what is that look like? And then you contrast it. Or you maybe kind of play matchups and say, well, what is this guy like to hit? Is this guy a person who struggles with velocity? Well, then Trevor Gott's your guy. Is this a guy who maybe struggles with uh, breaking stuff? Maybe then it's Brad Boxberger. So, and I'm sure the Brewers are, have all of that stuff uh, detailed as well. So, Playing matchups specific to what the hitters you're going to face are like is a perfectly valid way to go when you're trying to mix and match after you get past, you know, a couple of stalwarts 
in this bullpen. For sure. All right. One last Patreon question before we wrap things up this week comes from Tim Brown. He's asking, with Clayton Kershaw breaking the record for most strikeouts as a Dodger, I was wondering if you guys thought any of the current players will break Giovanni Gallardo's Brewers record. So <laughs> I, first of all, I love that Yo has this record. Um, I'm a big Gallardo fan, of course, uh, but uh, also maybe says something that he's the Brewers all-time strikeout leader as well. Uh, for reference, his record currently is 12-26. He surpassed Ben Sheets in his last season with the Brewers uh, to get that mark. So 1,226 <laughs> strikeouts, a uh, little bit less than Clayton Kershaw's 2,600 or so that he's he's working on. But uh I guess, Paul, any bets on, on if any of the current Brewers will get to that mark? I'm trying to think if any of the current Brewers won't get to that mark, honestly. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I know guess, Woodruff's close to breaking into the top 10. So. Yeah, I guess Hauser probably won't. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a matter of how long they spend on the team, which I guess is obvious. You always there forever. But uh, it, it won't take Burns or Woodruff or Freddie, frankly, all that long to get to that level. So I would put heavy money on at least one of them doing it. Um, and and if like Corbin Burns is, I think, a good bet for that to happen. So uh, of the of the people on in the rotation right now, yeah, I'm guessing that at least one of them will because it's not that good of a record. You know, Brewer pitching records historically aren't great <laughs> they're, they're not a big uh, historically great the pitching bar. team yeah. Uh, yeah whenever we have to pick like the best brewer pitchers ever it's always kind of a sorry bunch of guys after like two so it's in it or includes current pitchers frequently right so yeah uh, so i think somebody will do it and i'll pick burns to do it but like multiple guys might do it it's totally possible i would actually take burns as the third most likely guy in this group to do it and that's because uh, I'm looking at the numbers. So Burns, yeah. after today, uh, I don't know exactly how many strikeouts he had. He had 460 coming into today. So he's at like he 470. More today. So he's, he's at, at 470 seven. now. Yep. Yeah, Woodruff has him by uh, like 70. 70. Yeah, he's, he's at, at 543. 543. And Freddie's at 476. So he's behind where Woodruff is, but he's also locked in a lot longer. And that's yeah. what this where this matters. That is. might be the play. Yeah, he's yeah. at least guaranteed past right. uh, his arbiters, right? So maybe that's the play. Yeah, I think Freddie is the guy. If if one of these guys is going to do it, now that completely goes out the window if they lock in long term either Burns or Woodruff, which is right. certainly possible. I wouldn't necessarily bet on it at this point, but it is certainly possible if one of them decides they want to stay and the Brewers are willing to, uh, you know, to do that. So. I think that, but right now, if I had to put money on any one of them to do it, I would put money on Freddie. I think my favorite about this question is just looking at that top 10 leaderboard and realizing that Dave Bush is in the top 10 most strikeouts in is. Brewers history. He was That's a good amazing. strikeout pitcher in an era was, when guys was. didn't strike out nearly as much. People think that, you know, go back and look at some old strikeout rates for pitchers from the 80s. Look at Pete Vukovic yeah. in 1982 if you really want to be like, oh, he actually Jeez. walked more guys than he struck out. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> and it yeah. was a different time, but also, you know, it, it, yeah, they gave him that because <laughs> the Brewers offense scored exactly. up a ton of runs. Like, that was why he won the Cy Young. So. Exactly. I mean, looking through the list. So Gallardo's got the 12-26 at the top. Uh, surpassed Ben Sheets, who had the record for a, a good uh, few years there at 12.06. Uh, 
he broke Teddy Higuera's record, which was 1081. And those three are the only three pitchers in Brewers history with more than a thousand strikeouts as a Brewer. So that's also kind that's of saying insane. something. Yes. Yeah. You know in what? A 50 plus year history. You know who's going to be in this top 10 really soon? Hater is. Josh Hader, maybe. <laughs> he is. Uh, he's he should like. Be. He, no, he's got like 500 um, or 400 something already, I think. He's, yeah. got, he's got 497. So it'll take 605 to break into the top 10. That's like, yeah, if, if he's still on the team next year, he'll be in the top 10. Yeah. yeah, though, I think the rest of these guys, Freddie, Burns, and Woodruff, are all going to probably, if I had to put Pat, money on it right point. now, yeah. they're going to be three of the top five for sure, right? Well, yeah, they, like, yeah, not necessarily, but yeah. like they're going to all I have guess. to be here to the end of their their Brewers control. So That's the thing. Yeah, both both Sheets and Gallardo, right, had kind of extended stays. So Right, they uh, signed extensions to stay. But man, that's <laughs> just looking at that list. I'm surprised Doug Davis isn't in there, man. He well, had a couple I mean, of 200 strikeout seasons. I'm also surprised at that, but it's pretty crazy that like Gallardo, Sheets, in there. Yeah. Gallardo Sheets, Capuano, and Bush are all in there. Like, yeah, that's uh, Sheets is awesome, of course, but that's not a great pitching staff, and they're all in the top 10 in the history of the franchise <laughs> of strikeouts. Yeah. We saw that pitching staff. We suffered through it for for a good couple of years there. That's yeah, it's crazy, but. Uh, again, anything to make us appreciate what we're seeing right now, right? Because this is like genuinely historic for the Brewers to be mm-hmm. enjoying something this good. So, uh, and another good start from Burns on Sunday, even though he got the tough luck loss as he so often does. All right. Uh, thanks, Tim, for that great question. That was really fun. Uh, a reminder, as always, question priority for the patrons here just go to patreon.com slash mke tailgate to sign up there you also get a shout out on the podcast when you become a patron but ryan i I don't know if nada is a new patron or it means we have no new patrons this week (laughs) yeah there there are no new patrons okay uh, but when you do sign up, you'll you'll get a shout out here. Uh, no promises that Ryan pronounces your name correctly. Um, and as uh, was pointed out in a podcast review, no guarantees that Paul says any names correctly either. So, uh, nope. but he will read your review if you give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. So, reminder to go do that as well. Uh, that's another way to help us out. Even if you are unable to become a patron, you can just. Uh, Give us five stars for free, basically, on Apple Podcasts, and yep. we will appreciate that just as much. Uh, us. So you get something yeah. for it. It's a exactly. pro quo. We're not above it. Nope. Yeah. No, we're definitely pay for play here, so that's fine. Uh, <laughs> and while you're there on Apple Podcasts, please do hit that subscribe button or on Spotify, Pocket Cast, wherever else you get those podcasts. Uh, subscribe, like us, follow us, whatever the, the phrasing is for that particular app. We would greatly appreciate that as well. Uh, so that'll kind of do it for this week. Uh, good week for Brewers. Uh, good things to talk about and, and hopefully lots more to talk about as they... Uh, fingers crossed, beat up on the lowly Cincinnati Reds this week uh, and start a new month in May. But uh, that'll do it for this week. Thanks for listening, everybody. And we will see you here next time on Milwaukee's Tailgate.